<clears throat> well, two times a year I get away from the line upon line, verse upon verse study. And that's at Christmas and that's at Easter. So you get to hear a sort of topical sermon, although we will go line upon line. <laughs> you get to hear a topical sermon here this morning. And uh, so if you would, uh, be turning to John, the Gospel of John, first chapter. And we'll, we're going to look at John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ. And we're going to look at John's introduction of Jesus... as Messiah when he and Jesus are both adults. John and Jesus were first cousins, and we don't know how close they were as childhood friends or anything like that, but John was called to be a prophet. He has separated himself from everyday society, and he's went out in the wilderness to live away from the comforts of city life. And John, without a doubt, has understood that there is a divine call upon his life, and he has understood this from a very early age. So, John chapter 1, we'll look at verses 19 through 28, and then we'll go on from there. John 1, 19. Now this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked them, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But the strands, the one, there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The religious leaders of Jerusalem, they've sent a delegation of priests and Levites down to the Jordan Rift, river and they're beginning to question John. John is down by the Jordan. He's baptizing there. These priests have a mission. Find out who John claims to be. They want to know because there's great crowds that are now going down to the Jordan to see John and to be baptized of John. These Pharisees, when they get uh, there to the Jordan, they get right to the point with John, and they say, Who are you? And John confesses, and they say it's a confession. I am not the Christ. 
Don't look at me as though I am Messiah. I am not the Christ. That only indicates to us that they're obviously asking John, are you the Christ? Because his first confession is, no, I'm not the Christ. Um, well, if you're not Christ, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. Are you the prophet, speaking of a prophet like Moses? And he said, I am not. Well, who are you? And then he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. What a title. How would you like to put that on your business card? <laughs> okay. If you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why do you, John, baptize? If you're not the Christ, nor these other prophets. The religious leaders of Jerusalem, you have to understand, they have consolidated their power. Their position of authority over the people, and they're not about to surrender that authority. Uh, and so they want to know, who are you, this prophet out in the wilderness, and by what authority are you baptizing? In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus himself is in the temple, and he is teaching. And the chief priests come to Jesus, and they confront him. And this is right after he has cleansed the temple, right after he cast out all the... Uh, those that are selling sacrifices and doing the money changing. And they said, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're on this authority trip. <laughs> and Jesus answered it. I will answer you, your question, if you will answer one question for me. And then he goes back to John. He says, the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or was it from men? Jesus has trapped them. Jesus knows it and the Pharisees know it. These religious leaders also, they know that they have been trapped. And they reason among themselves, if we say from heaven, then he's going to say, why did you not be baptized if it's from heaven? And if we say from men then they're afraid that the people are going to rise up and stone them because the people looked upon John the Baptist as a prophet. So the religious leaders, they cop out. <laughs> and they say, we do not know. <laughs> yeah. Jesus tells these same leaders, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You know, it's hard to argue with God. I don't know if you've ever tried to. I, I have managed to try to instruct God sometimes, but uh, he doesn't need my instruction, nor does he need your instructions, and it's futile to argue with him, too. But the priests, they question John, and their questions center around, you are not one of us. You are not in the authority structure of here in Jerusalem. Why then are you, John, down there doing religious ceremonies like baptism? What are you doing, John? And that's a good question. So we pick it up again in John chapter 1, verse 29. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John got that from the front of our little bulletins, because that's what we have on the front of our bulletins. So John must have got it from us, or maybe we got it from John. It doesn't matter. That was humor. <laughs> but, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is of he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. You have John fulfilling his life's mission right there in that verse. I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. John at this time has his own set of disciples. And he declares uh, to his disciples and anyone else that will listen, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The voice of that man that's crying in the wilderness now says, This is the Christ. But we have two passages here where John says, I did not know him. And John repeats it, I did not know him. And you want to say, Wait a minute, John. He's your cousin. <laughs> you know him. But he did not know that Jesus was Messiah until the Lord revealed it to him by the descending of the Holy Spirit and it remained upon him. Then John says, that is the Christ, the Son of God. And then he says, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, this is John's confirmation, the Spirit of God descending and resting upon Jesus. This is he who baptizes, speaking of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. And I testify, he is the Son of God. That happens to be the greatest news Israel ever heard. Not only Israel, it's the greatest news this world has ever heard. It's the greatest news any of us could ever hear that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pick it up again in John uh, 1.35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. 
And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So we have John the baptizer, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and he proclaims again, Jesus is the Son of God. And when John declares this, two of his disciples go and follow Jesus. Jesus turns, seeing them following him, and he says, what do you, what do you seek? What do you guys want? And their simple reply is, Rabbi, where are you staying? These two disciples of John make it apparent that they want to hang out with Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. And one of these disciples is Andrew. And it's Simon's Peter's brother. Andrew, he's come to a great position of understanding. He's absorbed the tremendous good news that he now must share. So Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter, and declares, we have found Messiah. And to that I want to say, or Andrew, has Messiah found you? Jesus at this time, he's beginning to assemble his group of disciples, his twelve. And this is one of the two times the word Messiah is used in the New Testament. We'll look at the other one a little later. But, <clears throat> but have you ever had such good news that you just couldn't keep it to yourself? You got to go share it with somebody? That's where Andrew is. All of Israel, the whole religious world has looked for awaited Messiah. Andrew now knows who Messiah is. The term Messiah simply means the Christ. The Christ is used many times in Scripture, but Messiah is only used four times in Scripture. Two times in Daniel and two times here in John. But Andrew, he's found the Messiah, and he's delighted. He's excited about it. He's found the Chosen One. And this is the chosen one that all of Israel has waited for and looked for for many years. The Orthodox Jews still wait for their Messiah. They do not realize that it was Jesus, but they will. That's the work between Jesus and uh, the Jewish people. He will reveal himself to them. But Andrew, he's found Messiah through the witness of John the Baptist. And the first thing Andrew must do is find his brother Peter and proclaim the good news. Just a thought here. When we tell people Merry Christmas, 
we are also proclaiming Messiah has come. Have you ever thought about that? Somehow Happy Holidays doesn't get it, does it? Merry Christmas. And like Mike said, we can be politically incorrect, but hey, you'll hear it here. Merry Christmas. Andrew finds Peter, and he brings him to Jesus. And that makes sense to then why Andrew and the other disciple, where are you staying? Well, Andrew run gets Peter and brings to, to where Jesus is staying. When we become Christians, hopefully we have the same response. We want to bring our friends, our relatives to Jesus. We can even be annoying. You know what I mean? We found him. The good news, Christ is alive and he loves me and he saved me and I have to share it. Well, that's where Andrew is. He's got to share this. So he goes and gets Peter and he brings him to Jesus. That is the best gift you can give anyone is bring them to Jesus. Our Messiah is more than good news. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not only God can remove sin. Only God can take sins away from a person's life. Before Jesus went to the cross, the only way to receive forgiveness was for an animal to be sacrificed. And that animal would not remove your sin. It only covered your sin. Never do we read where a sacrificed animal removes sin. It covered the sin. It allowed God to look past your sin. But the shed blood of our Lord Jesus removes our sin. And what a difference. Removing versus covering. No animals being sacrificed has ever removed a sin from one single person. It only causes God to overlook that sin. And Jesus' shed blood on the cross, it purges us, it cleanses us, it removes our sins, never to be remembered again. Thank you, Lord. We're told that it's even as far as the east is from the west, so our sins are removed from us. Why did the Lord say east from west? Because if he would have said north from south, you can go north till you turn and then go south. But if you go east, you never stop going east. Or if you go west, you never stop going west. As far as the east is from the west, not the north from the south. So whoever wrote this, John, <laughs> he had that in mind. It's removed from us. It is so much better. It is completely different than our sins being covered. Because your sins are covered, and then what happens? You sin again, and then another animal has to die to, for more sins to be covered. But here's what I think our Lord would have us take from this. Never be casual 
about asking for forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness is available. Thank you, Lord. Grace is more than abundant. But we never want to take forgiveness for granted. We never want to assume upon the grace of God. When Peter met Jesus via Andrew's introduction, it's a noteworthy meeting. When Jesus looked at Peter, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which means small stone. For Jesus to rename Simon to Cephas shows a personal intimacy right away. An intimate act by our Lord upon Peter. Peter's probably thinking, why did he just change my name? <laughs> it doesn't seem to bother him, though. Sometimes we give those we love personal little nicknames. Lori doesn't call me Don. I'm Honey. That's not a nickname. <laughs> but, but if she were to say Don, I think she's mad at me, you know. But my mama used to say Don. And she was, when she pronounced my full name, I knew I was in full trouble. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus, he renamed Simon. In its way, Jesus' way of calling Peter to himself. As we said, Jesus is in a process of calling his 12 disciples to follow him. And we see the 12 in John, the Baptist, and others seeing Messiah. But Messiah is mentioned also in chapter 4 of John. You may want to turn to chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are traveling and they're going through Samaria. They approach one of Jacob's well at Sychar, and at the well there's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. The disciples have gone ahead, they went into the city of Sychar to buy food, and Jesus enters conversation with this woman, which was a culture no-no, by the way, and she is surprised that Jesus, a Jewish man, would even talk to her. This woman is intrigued by Jesus, sort of puzzled that he would ask her for a drink of water. So how does she react? She reacts by being witty, catty in her conversation with Jesus until he makes her sin Known, And then the whole attitude of the conversation changes. It's not wrong for a Christian or any of us to point out to another person that they are a sinner. That's not wrong. That's truth. We just do not have the right to condemn them. We cannot be condemning. And that's what Jesus did to hear. He pointed out her sin. And this woman's attitude completely changes when Jesus speaks of her sin. And her reply is, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
So let's read John chapter 4, 20 through 26. And this is the woman speaking. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jew. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What a revelation. Verse 25, the woman declares, she says, I know one thing. Messiah is coming, who is the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus' simple reply is, hey, it's Messiah who's talking to you, woman. And it has a profound effect upon this woman, for she believes and the woman goes back to her city of Sychar. She spreads the good news of Messiah. She's telling everyone, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. All my sins that I ever did. That is what has impressed her. And Jesus says, or Jesus stays there in Sychar and many People come to believe in Jesus. He even stays there two days in the middle of Samaria, and many believers come. This woman, a sinful Samaritan, becomes a believer because, like the disciples, she has found Messiah. She found Messiah at a well that the patriarch Jacob had dug. There's a little misunderstanding here, a little play on words in this assumption by the disciples and this assumption by the woman at the well who thought they had found Messiah. Jesus in his calling of the disciples in John 1.43, Jesus, Jesus writes that he finds Philip and Philip finds Nathaniel. But Philip declares, we have found Jesus of Nazareth. It's amazing when we understand, we say we found. But anyway, <clears throat> Philip's proclaimed to have found Jesus when indeed Jesus says he found Philip. It's incorrect to think that this woman at the well found Messiah. Why would I say that? Because no encounter with Christ is ever initiated by the will of man. Man's encounter with Jesus is always a Holy Spirit event. Turn back 
to verse 4 of chapter 4. Same chapter here. Just go back to verse 4. And before Jesus even goes through Samaria, we hear the Holy Spirit say, He needed to go through Samaria. God's written word. Jesus needed to go through the through Samaria. And this is not a chance meeting of Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples are called to follow Jesus. By Jesus. Follow me. Those were divine appointments by the Christ. God in the flesh seeking out sinful man. By the way, that separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions try to work man towards God. Christianity says God reaches down to man. What a great difference. God in the flesh coming on the scene seeking out sinful man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God initiates. He gives love. We simply respond to that love. I'm always troubled when I hear some Christians talk about how much they love the Lord. It's just one of those things that, you know, grabs my attention when I hear it. And I'm thinking, how much does God love you? And they talk about their love of God. That's a response. That's a response. We only love God in response to His great love towards us. Therefore, consequently, verily, verily, any of those terms you want to use, allow Messiah, allow the Christ, allow the Son of God by an act of your will to find you this Christmas. And with that, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. What a blessing. You sent your Son to, to a sinful world. And we sing these Christmas carols and we sing about us being a wretch. And that we are, Lord. And it will always be a mystery to us how much you loved us to send your own son to save us. But we're glad you did. We're glad that here at Christmas time we can celebrate Jesus coming in the flesh and dwelling among us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have the truth, the truth of Jesus. Bring that truth home to us in this Christmas season, Lord. Make it a reality in our life. And may we just spread the good news of you, Jesus, with a simple Merry Christmas. We don't want to be politically correct, Lord. We want to be about you in your kingdom. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming and dwelling among us. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, tomorrow evening, we will have a communion service.
630.